So I'm going to read from 1 Samuel 18, 1 16. And it's titled, Saul's Growing Fear of David. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had departed from Saul. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men, and David led the troops in their campaigns. In everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. Thanks, Sam, for reading that to us. Shall we pray as we come and we open God's word together this morning? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you, as we've remembered this morning, for your unfailing love for us. And we just pray now, as we come and open your word, as we continue exploring the life of David, that you will teach us more about your heart for us, that you'll teach us what it means to, to walk again in your ways today. So help us be encouraged and challenged from this passage. By your spirit, would you open it to us, we pray. Amen. Amen. Are you enjoying the Euros? I suppose it depends what country you're from, doesn't it? I think we'll see how today goes, but might might be digging deep into my rather tenuous Welsh ancestry um, after this afternoon. Um, but it's interesting when you watch sports, um, sportsmen, sportswomen playing, how skilled people are. Now, um, it doesn't matter whether it's the football or the tennis or whatever sport you're into. There are people out there with incredible skill. Have we got any skilled sports people in the room today? No. Well, if that question... Kev's put his hand up. I'm not quite sure why. I think he must just be scratching himself. (laughs) Well, I have to say, my my prowess as a sportsman is is quite low. As an athlete, I I peaked at age 11 when it was the top juniors 100-meter sprint, and I came first, first out of the whole school. 
For Woodwine, three months, I was on a different starting lineup, this time in my new secondary school. And there were 75 boys lined up across the school field ready to run 100 meters. Now, I'd sold myself this story that I was really fast. I thought I was the next Usain Bolt, although he wasn't around at that point. But that's what I would, that was my sort of narrative I was telling myself. So off we go, you know, on your marks, get set, go. <clears throat> I ran, I ran as fast as I could and came about 15th or 20th. I had been outclassed, outrun, outmaneuvered by people who actually trained by people who were in running clubs, by people who were actually quite skilled. And so a gulf emerged in my 11-year-old brain between the version of myself that I thought I was, this very fast boy, and the reality of somebody who was reasonably fast. I don't know if you find in life that sometimes happens. There is a gulf between who we want to be and who we are. Sometimes we see other people who are far more like what we wish we were than we actually are. And when that gulf starts to emerge, and particularly if that gulf widens, we start to feel these two emotions of jealousy and envy. Now, these are words that are really difficult to sort of divide up to actually what they mean. So I managed to find a quote to help us this morning. I don't know if this, this is helpful or not. This is from vocabulary.com. It says, it's no fun to feel envy or jealousy because both make you feel inadequate. Envy is when you want something someone else has, but jealousy is when you're worried somebody is trying to take what you have. So if you want your neighbor's new convertible, convertible, sorry, you feel envy. If she takes your friend out for a ride in it, you feel jealousy. So very similar sort of feelings. Now, if you were joining us last week, we left um, the life of David at the point where this shepherd boy has become a hero. He has slain the giant Goliath. He's been described as a young man. He's brave. He's got faith in the Lord. He's full of courage. And at the, chart, the start of chapter 18, Saul takes David into his service. He's been really impressed with what David has done so far. And so rather than David turn, return home to his father, he goes into the service of Saul. Verses 1 to 4, we then get this very close relationship that develops between Jonathan, who is Saul's son, and David. And Jonathan is Saul's son. He would be the natural heir to the throne should Saul die. He would be the one you would expect to carry on the line of kings. But then we get, if you've got a Bible in front of you, look at verse 4. There is some really interesting imagery. Because Jonathan starts to give um, David a whole list of presents. A robe, a tunic, a sword, a belt, and a bow. What on earth is all that about? It's not Christmas come early. This is something quite different. Now, a lot of commentators actually think what is going on here is that Jonathan is handing over his right to succeed Saul at this point. And he's seeing David as the one who is God's anointed, the one who will succeed. He sees in David something that he actually doesn't see in his own dad. And he sees in David the one who God has his hand on. And David starts to thrive. Everything he does He's successful. Verse 5, all these military successes. God's hand is on him. He gets promoted through the ranks of the army. The troops and the officers see that he really is the wonder boy. But remember, he is only a boy. He is not old at this point. We're not quite sure the timescales of this chapter. But the way it reads, it's like a continuous series of events after David and Goliath. So he's probably still a teenager. And then a song is sung with rather dubious lyrics. Here we go. 
Saul has slain his thousands, David his tens of thousands. These crowds of women come out with instruments, making a load of noise and singing this refrain. Now, it's interesting, I, th- I think, for us as human beings. Sometimes, great disappointments in life we can recover from. But then somebody sings a silly song that digs us in the ribs. Somebody says the off-the-cuff comment that just sort of hits us in the heart, and we can become really hurt. We're not always logical as human beings. Well, at least I'm not. You, you may be, but I'm not. And I think that is partly down to our brokenness. You know, we're, we're influenced by the fall. We, we don't always think rationally. And Saul, from the singing of this song, is absolutely furious. Angry at a song of dubious lyrical quality. But it's not the lyrical quality that's the issue. It's the message behind it. David is being credited as ten times the warrior that Saul is. Remember, Saul is the king still at this point. He's the one who's meant to be leading the nation out into their battles. But it's David who's getting credited as being better. And so the problems at this point are mounting up for King Saul. David is the hero having defeated Goliath. Jonathan, Saul's son, is now best friends with David. And Jonathan sees the anointing that is on David. And David is proving to be a highly successful military campaigner. Saul is envious of what David has and jealous of the adulation he's receiving. And in verse 8, we get this rather sorry lament from King Saul. What more can he get but a kingdom? The only thing that Saul now has is a crown. Everything else he now wants from David. And so jealousy and envy are creeping in. Jealousy and envy can actually creep into any human heart. You've probably experienced this. I know I certainly have in my own life. We look at other people and we want what they've got. It may be that you look at somebody with a, a bigger income and you think, if I had that money, think what I could do with it. You might look at other people and think, well, they always seem to have better holidays than me. You know, I'm staying in a travel lodge in Burnley, and they're going somewhere exotic. And you can become envious and jealous. Sometimes we, we, can, we can look at the cars people drive or the, the promotions they seem to get at work. And envy and jealousy can quickly get into our lives. But you know, as Christians, if today you're a follower of Jesus, if you have been saved by the finished work of Christ on the cross, we can actually become spiritually jealous as well. We can look at other people and we might think, why is it that that person can seem to pray so easily and confidently and see answer to prayer when I struggle to put a sentence together and I really feel I'm floundering around? Why is it that that person seems to have so many blessings in their life when my life seems so full of trial and hardship? Why is that person being given this particular spiritual gift when actually my life just feels hard work? Why do they always seem to have stories of what God is doing? And yet, I just don't get it. I don't feel it. And if we're not careful, we can fall into patterns of spiritual jealousy. Saul is now seeing in David what he had hoped to be, what he should have been, what he could have been, and yet he wouldn't be. And so jealousy and envy creep in. Verse 9, it simply says, From that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. He's watching his every step. Now, Saul has known David by this point since chapter 16. And Saul had been, if you can think back a couple of weeks, he had been God's chosen king. 
But through a series of errors, through sin, through rebellion against the things of God, he has gone his own way. And God has got to the point where he said, enough, you know, I have to reject you as king. And David is now the one who God will anoint. And as Saul is rejected by God as king in chapter 16, the Holy Spirit departs from him. And we find in this passage that an evil spirit, or a harmful spirit, the Hebrew can mean either, is tormenting Saul. But there's a bit of a question here, because it says God sends the tormenting spirit, the evil spirit. I don't know if you noticed that in the text. Does this mean that God has become vindictive with Saul, or he's just setting him up to fail? What's going on? Well, in no way. That is not what God is doing. Saul had been God's anointed. But time and time again, he had chosen to go his own way. You know, if we actively and persistently choose to walk away from God, if we exercise our free will in negative ways, then actually what happens is God allows us to walk into the consequences of our own making. This is what Saul is doing. One writer puts it like this. Whenever these troubling or wicked spirits are sent by God, it's done as punishment for something people have done. This is, in Saul's case, for his rebellion. God judges people by allowing spirit agents to do what they want to do, namely, torment people. But God, in his mercy, provides a way for Saul to be soothed from this tormenting spirit. And if you look at at verse 10... Um, David is there ministering to Saul with music, ministering on the lyre. And this has happened since chapter 16. And just what a beautiful reminder here of how much of a gift music is and how much God can use music to, to bless us, to soothe us, to minister to us. We then get down to verses 10 and 11, and this is a right mixture of things going on. There's all kinds of stuff happening in these verses. The torment comes on Saul from the evil spirit, but Saul is prophesying. Now, that could mean he is still declaring the words of God, but at the same time is being tormented. Or that word could also mean he's in a heightened ecstatic state. We're not quite sure. David is ministering to Saul at this point. He's playing the lyre, the thing that normally soothes Saul. But it's at this moment Saul reaches boiling point. The jealousy, the fear, the envy, they spill over. And twice, twice, Saul gets a spear flings it at David, and tries to pin him to the wall. Within just a few verses, jealousy at some rather dubious song lyrics has degenerated into attempted murder. And it's just a reminder that jealousy and envy, if left unchecked, can cause a huge amount of damage, both to ourselves and to the people around us. Today is Father's Day, and, you know, Saul could have been a father figure to David. He could have mentored him, he could have taught him, he could have brought him on. But instead, he rejects that model, and he just falls into envy. He wants what David now has. Now, our reading today ends at the point where Israel and Judah, they they love David because of the success that he has in leading their military campaigns. But let's think about ourselves for a few moments. Let's think about jealousy and envy in our own lives. You know, the Bible is very consistent, right through the Old Testament, through the New Testament. The writers of Scripture remind us time and time again that jealousy and envy, they are not the qualities that God wants to see in his people. They are things that will destroy us. Look at these two passages from the Old Testament. The first is the last of the Ten Commandments. You shall not cover your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. 
Or Proverbs 14, verse 30, a heart at peace gives life to the body. I love that. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. See the contrast that the writer of Proverbs brings there. And then we get from the New Testament two passages. This is from James. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. And then Paul, in that famous passage from 1 Corinthians, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy. You can't be loving and envious at the same time. Love does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. God is love. We sing about that so much, don't we? We talk about it. We remind ourselves about it. We've reminded ourselves this Father's Day that God is our loving Heavenly Father. When we look at God, when we keep our eyes on Him, when we ask God, what is it you want me to be? Not comparing ourselves to others, but what is it you're calling me to be? Then we take our eyes onto those things that God has for us. More than that, we seek the common good. You see, Saul could have seen in David that here was somebody who was anointed by God, and they could have worked together, but instead they go off due to jealousy. So here's the question. Here's a question for us. Are our lives held back today by jealousy and envy? I'm very conscious that at the moment, you know, we've all been in and out of restrictions for, for 18 months. We've been probably spending more time on social media than perhaps we we ever have done before. And it may be that, you know, we have been looking at other people's lives and thinking, their life just looks better than mine. What they're doing looks better than what I do. And we can easily fall into those traps of jealousy and envy. Have we taken our eyes off what God has for us, for us as individuals, for us as a church family? And are we comparing ourselves to wanting what other people have? Today, are we at risk? Now, this is only metaphorically, I hope, but are we at risk of becoming the spear throwers? Those who would seek to be envious and jealous in our hearts. Now, if you're anything like me, we all do it sometimes. We all get into those positions where we look and we want what others have. But actually, let's reject that road. Let's reject that road that Saul went down and instead choose the road that God calls us down, the road to love, of seeking God's best for ourselves, the best for the common good, and to see the growth of his kingdom. What I'd like us to do is, is uh, for a moment, do a bit of a reflection on that 1 Corinthians passage. Because it's okay to talk about those things like jealousy and envy, but it needs replacing. It needs replacing with something else, and it needs replacing with the love of God. So what I'm going to ask us to do, um, whether you're at home watching this or whether you're sat in the room here, is just to close your eyes, and I'm going to read part of 1 Corinthians over us, and then just leave a period of just a a minute or two of space, and then there'll be a prayer on the screen that we'll pray together. So just listen to these words, and let's substitute envy and jealousy for love. So from 1 Corinthians 13, from verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy It does not boast. It is not proud. It it does not dishonor others. 
It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, for where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I taught like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Let's spend a moment in quiet. You may want to use the words that are on the screen. It's just a short prayer asking God to help us put away envy and jealousy and to be refreshed by his love. Lord, today, by your spirit, would you once again refresh me with your love and put away all envy and jealousy in my heart. Turn my life once again to you and help me to see who you want me to be for the common good. Amen. Amen.